Hello friends, you're listening to Cinema 5000. I am Mallory, your host, here to talk to you about what I've seen recently, and it has been a bit. I uh, do apologize for the length of time that there was between this episode and the last, but with good reason. I was actually on vacation, so I was on an island where there are no movie theaters, just wild horses, uh, iguanas, bugs... Uh, and beaches, thankfully, yes, beaches. So I was getting some sun, enjoying some, you know, local food and, uh, having a good time just away from screens and all that stuff. But, uh, we got to go back actually just a couple days before I left for vacation to start the show. And you might be wondering, what are we at for new movies in the count? We're at 5,203 films. Found a couple on Letterboxd that I had not actually marked as watched, despite seeing many moons ago. But on this episode, uh, uh, we've got a got a number of films to talk to you about. So let's get started. A couple days before I left for vacation, I ended up watching the 2022 film Close, directed by Lucas Dunt. The summary is, as there is no tagline, 13-year-olds Leo and Remy have always been incredibly close, but they are drifting. They drift apart after intimacy of their relationship is questioned by schoolmates. When tragedy strikes, one is forced to confront why he distanced himself, distanced himself from a clo- his closest friend. Uh, there is a sort of uh, air of queer coding when it comes to the relationship between these two boys, Remy and Leo. And then when the tragic thing that happens happens, uh, we're supposed to uh, come to some conclusions about the story and the impact and how this kind of thing that happens to children where they uh have peer pressure in new situations and whatnot can affect their lives and I don't think that's a bad subject to necessarily examine I however do not I I don't completely think the movie is so successful at examining that and that its perspective um I think it's a nice movie to look at and I did like the acting from the two young uh, boy characters who are, you know, they're children. So (laughs) when it comes to children performances in movies, a lot of that can hinge on the directing or the editing and whatnot. But there was enough, uh, natural interaction between them where we understood them to be friends and we could get their perspectives and reactions, I guess you could say, in natural enough ways where we're not necessarily thinking, oh, these are two actors. We're just seeing them as children. Um, Overall, I I give this three stars. I don't think it's a great film. It was up for the Best International Film uh, at the Academy Awards this past year. Um, I do see that a number of my friends on Letterboxd have seen this and given this high marks and some others not so much. Uh, But I think it's all right. It's not bad. Close from 2022, directed by Lucas Daunt. And um, yeah, it 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 is... how should I say? It is a tragic drama. Unfortunately, it's a tragic drama, but uh, I think it's it's all right. It's not bad. You could do worse. But something I'd actually recommend over close is actually another film that was nominated for the Best International Film at the Academy Awards this past year. It's The Quiet Girl, directed by Colm Barade, and and there is no tagline for this one again, <laughs> but the summary summary is a quiet neglect a quiet neglected girl is sent away from her dysfunctional family to live with relatives for the summer. She blossoms in their care, 
but in this house where so there are meant to be no secrets she discovers one so that's basically it that's the story a uh, really wonderful performance by the young girl kate who's played by katherine clinch um and this is a film that is from ireland but it is in gaelic for the language so you do get subtitles as you did with close which i believe is austrian um but this one i think is a really really beautiful film i uh, i didn't get the chance to see this one in the theater I actually just saw that it was on iTunes for like a purchase of like 10 bucks and I was like, you know what, let's go for it. And uh, I don't regret buying it for 10 bucks. There's a, it's called The Quiet Girl. There's a very quiet, uh, dramatic air to this film and it's beautifully shot, like really picturesque and it is somewhat of a period piece a little bit, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's really, it's really, uh, a film that allows the innocence of the main character to remain as such. Um, and, uh, it doesn't judge, it doesn't really judge anybody in this movie when it comes to the sort of things that become revelations. And, uh, I don't have too much to say other than I, I do recommend it, like highly recommend The Quiet Girl, directed by Colm Berade. And, uh, I, uh, I, I wish I could say more about it, but this is the movie that you kind of experience more than you talk about. There's certain silences, like I said, the quiet girl, um, uh, <laughs> uh, how it's shot and it's pacing, it's editing. And there's certain technical things about the movie that you just don't see every day in movies. And, uh, it's a, it's a nice little story. I, don't, I shouldn't say little, but it's a, uh, it's a 90-ish minute film that, doesn't leave anything hanging as far as the impact of the imagery and the performances within the film. So I do recommend The Quiet Girl. Uh, something not so quiet, changing gears big time. <laughs> it's Dirty Harry from 1971, directed by Don Siegel. The tagline is Detective Harry Callahan. He doesn't break murder cases, he smashes them. <laughs> when a madman dubbed the, quote, Scorpio, terrorizes San Francisco. Hard-nosed cop Harry Callahan, famous for his take-no-prisoners approach to law enforcement, is tasked with hunting down the psychopath. Harry eventually collars Scorpio in the process of rescuing a kidnapped victim, only to see him walk on technicalities. Now, the maverick detective is determined to nail the maniac himself. Nothing subtle about this movie. <laughs> um, I actually watched this because it was one of the films referenced in the uh, book Cinema Speculation by Quentin Tarantino, which I was reading on my vacation, and I haven't finished it yet, but I do... I 1000% recommend it. If like, if you're a fan of Tarantino, if you think he's a chump and you don't like him, then don't read it. But, uh, <laughs> he has a really, uh, wonderful way of talking about movies in their historical context and sort of his perspective as like a young viewer and little anecdotes here and there. And, uh, I have really been enjoying it. And when I got to the part where he just started to talk about his experience with Dirty Harry, I was realizing, you know, you haven't seen this movie. <laughs> uh, there's been a couple instances where I've been like, oh yeah, I should watch Dirty Harry one day. And I think I did actually start to watch it once. Um, and maybe just like fell right asleep because there's a lot of quiet, okay, not necessarily quietness, but a lot of silence 
silences and sort of pacing of the film and how you know you're anticipating certain things to happen and leading and building of tension and um it's really technically very well made by don siegel i uh i definitely recommend the film but here's where it sort of falls apart for me uh there's just not enough story for me <laughs> uh, which is a weird thing to say but uh it is a revenge film and you do have this cop character uh and uh you know as much as uh clint eastwood is absolutely doing fine on presence in the film uh i i was kind of left wanting a little more out of this overall uh story and its execution and that, i mean that is that is also a uh, kind of perspective for me as an older film viewer who you know when i watch a movie i want to get a lot out of it and dirty harry is pretty cut and dry like it is what it is kind of thing um and i found it all right i just didn't love it uh it would be interesting for me to then follow up watching some of the other uh dirty harry films um but i uh i uh, think dirty harry itself as a movie does stand alone all right it is pretty pretty gritty pretty gruesome at times and uh the shooting of shooting uh <laughs> the cinematography of san francisco itself uh, is actually really really incredible it's such a like <sighs> to say throwback but it's such like of a time and place and the certain uh places where the film does take place in san francisco and i don't think there's anything else to say because uh dirty harry is one of those it is a classic movie blah 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 but uh <laughs> uh you know you don't need my endorsement to really know that it is a film that sort of just has stood the test of time in many ways and others maybe not so much but that's dirty harry from 1971 directed by don siegel and as i said starring clint eastwood uh yeah another film i watched on my vacation uh <laughs> i uh, uh well, let's just put it this way um when you're on an island that is not necessarily like i mean how do i say it uh it's not like remote but it is a, a certain kind of island where um, there's a lot of uh, noises, a lot of roosters crowing in the morning and this and that. And th there was a number of mornings, let's just say a majority of the mornings, where I was waking up at 6 a.m. Not because I wanted to, but because every single rooster in the neighborhood was telling me to wake up. Um, so I would get up in the morning and I'd be the first one awake and uh, I would go ahead and maybe try to find something to watch for streaming just because it's early it's hot might as well be up make myself some breakfast and uh i ended up watching the movie bridget jones's baby from 2016 directed by sharon mcguire the tagline is old flame new fling big problem breaking up with mark darcy leaves bridget jones over 40 and single again feeling that she has everything under control jones decides to focus on her career as a top news producer suddenly her love life comes back from the dead when she meets the dashing and handsome american named jack things couldn't be better until Bridget discovers that she is pregnant now the befuddled mom-to-be must figure out if the proud papa is mark or jack whoa spoiler alert now you know everything that happens but <laughs> uh this isn't this isn't a movie that relies upon the audience you know having some kind of want of there being surprises at the end of it you know exactly what's going to happen with this one and i'll say i was not a fan of bridget jones and the end of the excuse me the edge of reason i thought that movie was absolutely terrible especially since its predecessor bridget jones's diary was just like 
totally fine and like really enjoyable and sweet and is what it is kind of romantic comedy that you can just put on and you're going to get everything you think you're going to get out of it. <laughs> uh, but Bridget Jones's baby, I think does a pretty good job of trying to pick up the pieces from what the sequel of edge of reason, you know, tried to destroy in many ways of goodwill of this character played by Renee Zellweger that we all know Bridget Jones. Uh, and she's fine in this. I will say, I think the first 20 minutes of this is actually pretty crap. And, uh, there are some pretty bad jokes in this one that I just don't care for. Like there's British humor and then there's like crappy kind of like icky humor that I just, don't care for. And there's, there's some of that, some of this blah, blah, blah in this movie. But at the end of the day, I think this is a fine film, like three stars. It's easy to watch. Uh, Colin Firth playing Mark Darcy, like, yeah, he's great. And then you have also the other potential love interest, mate, possible date, baby daddy <laughs> that's played by Patrick Dempsey. And I think he is actually perfectly cast. Like I've never been a fan of Patrick Dempsey, never been into Grey's Anatomy. And I've seen him in a number of films from like the eighties and nineties. But when it comes to having a character who's supposed to be like this romantic ideal and of a bit of an outsider and have enough chemistry with Renee Zellweger, he like, he fits the bill perfectly. And he's supposed to be this uh, dating website <laughs> meeting mogul. Um, and so there's like little things in there about compatibility. It's like, should she be with this American dude or should she be with Mark Darcy? And there's enough little things in there. Like as much as there are things about the script that I don't care for, there's enough like smart bits within it that makes the film work and succeed. Uh, and I do think the ending of it is quite good. Like I really, really liked how they all wrapped everything up and it, it was, it was less about, um, it was less about the question of who she's going to choose. And it's just about humanizing these people and making them, you know, really come to terms with the fact that this is a tricky situation and both both men step up and they try to do their best to try to help Bridget Jones out because they know she's one one sweet wacky lady and uh yeah she's she's gonna have one of their baby you know that's just how it is <laughs> um actually I said I rated it three stars did I say that I actually rated only two and a half um uh, oh yeah because I think I think some of the bits of it that didn't work for me really stood out more in some ways, unfortunately. And, uh, <laughs> uh, for what it was though, like, it's not bad. I, I, I am pretty tough on rom-coms just because the conventions can either work for me or not work at all, or just like feel tiring and not fresh enough. Cause there's plenty of ways you can make a rom-com that has conventional ideas and make them a little brighter and more fun. And we'll get to something like that a little later in the show. But I think yeah, this, this more or less works. I might not have enjoyed every moment of it, but it's fine. So Bridget Jones's baby from 2016 directed by Sharon McGuire. Like I said, I gave it two and a half, but considering me and how I feel about it, that might as well be four stars considering what kind of movie it is. But yeah, let's move on. Something not so great that I really don't want to talk about. It's Cocaine Bear from 2023 directed by Elizabeth Banks. The tagline is, get in line. An oddball group of cops, criminals, tourists, and teens converge in a Georgia forest where a 500-pound black bear goes on a murderous rampage after unintentionally 
ingesting cocaine. This movie's terrible. It is a one-joke movie, and it doesn't have a single joke that works in it, and that's just too bad. Lots of actors you recognize, like Carrie Russell, and then we've got Alden Ehrenreich, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Ray Liotta, rest in peace, love that guy, uh, and Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and then Brooklyn Prince uh, from The Florida Project being totally innocent and how she got shoehorned into this. I mean, I just hope it pays her college bills one day because she's she's got a lot ahead for her in the acting world, but in case that doesn't work out, you know, get a kid, education kid. Anyway, that's way more interesting to think about than what this movie is because it's absolutely terrible. The CGI bear looks like crap. There's nothing funny about this. I hated Cocaine Bear. I gave it one star that might even be too high of a score for it because it's terrible. It's one of the worst movies I've seen in quite a while, and I... I implore you to not watch Cocaine Bear from 2023, directed by Elizabeth Banks. Now, moving on. Uh, Supersonic from 2016, directed by Matt Whitecross. This is a documentary about the band Oasis, and we don't have a tagline, but here's a summary. Supersonic charts the meteoric rise of Oasis from the council estates of Manchester to some of the biggest concerts of all time in just three short years. This palpable, raw, and moving film shines a light on one of the most genre and generation-defining British bands that has ever existed and features candid new interviews with Noel and Liam Gallagher, their mother, and members of the band and road crew. And that's about it. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing about this uh, documentary, I will say, for the three short years it follows, it's sort of like how they started out, how they got the band together, blah, 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 and then up to the release of, like, What's the Story Morning Glory? Because they don't go into the album be her now at all. Um, I mentioned this because I was an Oasis fan when I was 10 years old. <laughs> uh, so something about their music like really struck me and like, of course, Wonderwall, what an incredible song. Uh, love them or hate them, I think Oasis is a pretty talented group. And I like how this uh, documentary really talked about the lyricism that like Noel Gallagher has and how great, you know, he adds to the a uh, sort of angsty element of what the band was to a lot of people, but then there's the artistry too. Um, I will say though, as much as like there are good things about this documentary, it left a lot to be desired, a lot more perspectives because it does keep it kind of tight knit to the just the family and the bandmates, and that's not a bad thing, especially since there are so many documentaries that come out all the time that are just talking heads, like so-and-so from this magazine, hey, so-and-so's amazing, so-and-so from this, yeah, they were so great, but it is just interviews, one-on-one kind of things, and uh, barely any news clippings. It's more so the perspectives of the people looking at the news clippings who are involved directly with the band as far as the bandmates and then their mother and, you know, Noel and... Liam themselves. So, um, I do recommend Supersonic, the documentary directed by Matt Whitecross, but like I said, uh, mm, could have used some more stuff maybe. I don't know if there's like a plan to like do another one and talk about their later, uh, years in the band, but I think another person out there, another filmmaker could definitely make like the, uh, the grand all encompassing Oasis documentary. Um, I don't know if people want that, however, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I was a bit of a fan when I was very young and that makes me think that I haven't actually listened to their music in a while, which is too bad, but I'd probably still enjoy it. Regardless, um, I gave Supersonic three stars. It's all right. It's not bad. Uh, I watched it on HBO Max, just so you know. Uh, something I watched another, this is, I think, yeah, this is the last movie I watched on vacation last, 
couple I did. Uh, this is The Tender Bar from 2021, directed by George Clooney. Watched this on Amazon Prime, and I watched it with my parents. Uh, <laughs> the tagline is, between the ones who love you and the ones who leave you is the journey of a lifetime. J.R. is a fatherless boy growing up in the glow of a bar where the bartender, his Uncle Charlie, is the sharpest and most colorful of an assortment of quirky and demonstrative father figures. As the boy's determined mother struggles to provide her son with opportunities denied to her and leave the dilapidated home of their outrageous, if not begrudgingly, supportive father, J.R. begins to gamely, if not always gracefully, pursue his romantic and professional dreams with one foot persistently placed in Uncle Charlie's bar. Uh, there isn't much to say about this movie because I found it so incredibly boring and flat. Really not a good subject at all. Like, if you're going to do a movie that's based on a book of someone's memoir, it should be interesting, and it's not. But thankfully, there is one, one thing of note of this movie, which is... Ben Affleck. He's really good as Uncle Charlie for this kid, JR. Um, I did like the young kid, JR character. Did not like grown up JR, played by Ty Sheridan, who goes to Yale and has interactions with girlfriends and friends and experiences and still comes back to Uncle Charlie's bar. Uh, just JR ultimately is like, it's what's the point? It feels so what's the word I want to use here? I'll just say boring. Like, this movie just lost me once it, like, Ben Affleck's not there. I don't care. It just, there's not enough going on here for this movie to survive outside of his character working in this bar and giving this kid life lessons and such. It's really a shame. Uh, this is directed by George Clooney as well, <laughs> and, uh, I have not seen a movie I like directed by George Clooney other than Good Night and Good Luck. I don't know what he's doing here. It felt so forced and and just I said uninteresting. I think I know I know I said boring. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe at best I could say the production values of this one sort of throwback to the '80s and just coming out of the '70s. You know, the sort of styling and drabness of clothes and culture. I mean, I guess that works here, but. I don't recommend The Tender Bar from 2021, directed by George Clooney. Gave it two stars. That two stars is all for Ben Affleck, because he's the only one here working and really doing something with this script that just plain and simple ain't worth it. It's too bad. Um, it's I watched this on Amazon Prime as well, and uh, yeah, yikes. Uh, I don't really think this played in theaters, and if it did, oh boy, I feel bad for anybody who paid to watch it, because... What a snooze. It might sound like I'm being harsh here, but frankly, you try to watch this movie for two hours and then you tell me how much you like it. Okay. <laughs> um, let's move on to something better. It's Made in Dagnum from 2010, directed by Nigel Cole. The tagline is, in the fight for equal rights, an ordinary woman achieves something extraordinary. A dramatization of the 1968 strike at the Ford Dagenham car plant, where female workers walked out in protest against sexual discrimination. So we're talking wages, fair wages, equality, women trying to survive, make their wages, and support their families. That's about it. It's a pretty simple film. Uh, I don't know how much of this was actually, like characters who are real people and whatnot but for what you do get like as much as like Bridget Jones is like kind of uh you know romantic comedy stuff that you kind of ex expect there's a certain kind of British film that is made 
a lot. And that's like historical context about England and people and real things that happened. And it may or may not be truthful. <laughs> um, one movie this makes me think of is uh, <laughs> Eddie the Eagle, which is like 90% fake. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so historical period pieces go uh, when, as they go when it comes to uh, British productions. Some of them are so cheeky and silly and others are just like, you know, let's, let's play this you know, pretty straight or maybe a mix of the both. And this is more of a mix of the both. You've got Sally Potter, you've got Bob Hoskins, you've got Miranda Richardson, and then you've got like Rosamund Pike and Andrea Riseborough. All the women in this movie are fine. Um, this, this could have been a bit more interesting of a story if it was actually a documentary. I would, I wonder if there is one out there like that. There, I bet, I, you know, I bet there is. I'll, I'll look it up. But if there isn't, I'm disappointed. Uh, but, <laughs> That's okay. I can't be disappointed about a movie that doesn't exist. I just hope one day it maybe it does. Because uh, the story's interesting. And when it comes to the 1960s, you don't always hear about women, you know, fighting for those kinds of things, uh, especially in places like England. I, I think of um, workers' rights and such. I think about Norma Ray with Sally Field, and that was in the 70s. But um, this is this is England. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not bad. It's all right. I gave it three stars. Um, lots of wonderful costume work, like throwback costume designs. And, uh, I, uh, I, I love seeing stuff like that in movies. And, uh, it's not too, like I said, it's not too serious, not too cheeky. It's, it's a good balance of the two. So that's Made in Dagenham from 2010, directed by Nigel Cole. All right. I mentioned rom-coms, balancing, you know, the, the story and the fun and the stuff you expect to see. And thankfully, we have a film to talk about that does a pretty good job of that. And that is Book Club, the next chapter from 2023, directed by Bill Holderman. I went to the theater. I saw this. I laughed. I didn't cry. I just had a good time. The tagline is slightly scandalous, totally fabulous. Four best friends take their book club to Italy for the fun girls trip they never had. When things go off the rails and secrets are revealed, their relaxing vacation turns into a once-in-a-lifetime cross-country adventure. If you don't know already, Book Club, the first film, starred these four ladies, Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, Candice Bergen, and Mary Steenburgen, and they're all back for some more fun, and they're going to Italy, and they only read books in the beginning, but <laughs> this is just an excuse to get these, like, four actresses out on the road having some fun and all getting laid, because that's what happens here. <laughs> um, Diane Keaton is uh, in a relationship with Andy Garcia, who was quite the stud in the uh, last film. And uh, Jane Fonda, well, she's kicking around with none other than John Don Johnson. And her and Don Johnson are getting along so good. Hey, why don't we get married? So they turn this uh, girls trip into basically a engagement, you know, hen party kind of trip for Jane Fonda's character, who's the lady who she's okay. So Jane Fonda has played this character in multiple movies. Uh, earlier this year in 80 for Brady, she played the same kind of character, which is basically the older woman who is so attractive and hot that every man wants to be with her because she's just, she's just it. And for years, for years, she's had every man she could. And then it's a matter of, you know, is it time for me to settle down or not? That's the question. <laughs> um, but then on the flip side, we've got Candace Bergen, who is playing the character, gosh, what was her name? Uh, Sharon. Now, Sharon is a um, judge, and we learn that in the beginning of the film, Sharon 
has decided to retire, so she's no longer going to be behind the bench, and Sharon's out for some fun. And I say hell yeah to Grandis Bergen getting her rocks off in this movie because she uh she has some fun. She meets meets the man that she uh she has a good time with, and I I fully welcome movies showing women in this age having a great time because if not on film, you know what's when how why uh. That's the great thing about this sort of Jane Fonda universe between, like, 80 for Brady and Grace and Frankie. It's like, we get to see actresses who are not only, like, totally, how do we, how do I say, well-established, and you've seen them do so many things. They're just having a good time, and this movie, you can have a good time, too, thankfully, because <laughs> uh, it could be very bad. It could be really annoying, and I think this is a little, I like this one a little better than the first book club movie, uh, and uh, I don't know what else to say other than it uh, It just was a good time, like fun to see these women just go out there and uh, seek, seek uh, some kind of fulfillment, either through, you know, exploration of destinations or men. <laughs> Uh, it's not too serious either at all. Like maybe the only serious thing is just the uh, thought process behind, you know, we're only going to be around so long, so we might as well do what we can. So good on this movie. <laughs> um, I, uh, I don't think I could spoil it in any way, frankly, but I mean, it's not, it's not deep at all. It is just what it is. These ladies having a great, great old time. So that's book club, the next chapter from 2023 directed by Bill Holderman. And I will say there were a couple things that happened in the beginning of the film that were very CGI that really made me disappointed because I I was realizing, oh God, did they film this entire movie in a studio and not really take these women out of the United States and put them in Italy? No, no, no. They were, it seems pretty evident that they were in Italy, but you know, that's, <laughs> it's a little shocking when you see things like CGI where people are like, oh, we're at this destination and it's clearly not. I, I don't want to ever see that in a movie again. And I unfortunately know I will have to see that many, many times. I hate that. Please don't do that. Anyway, uh, moving on. The final film we're going to talk about in this episode, uh, going way back to 1970. It's Airport, directed by George Seaton. The tagline is, the number one novel of the year, now a motion picture, melodrama about a bomber on board an airplane, an airport almost closed by snow, and various personal problems of the people involved. Wow, that's exactly it. <laughs> There's a lot of personal drama going on between different characters, but uh, at the heart of what this movie is, once it gets going, there is a possible bomb on board this airplane that is going to Italy, not the it's not the plane from book club next chapter. Oh, no, no. We're talking, <laughs> we're talking 53 years earlier. Airport, um, starring Burt Lancaster, Dean Martin, Gene Seberg, Jacqueline Fassett, George Kennedy, Helen Hayes, Maureen Stapleton, among others. And, uh, this was, this was fun. Uh, really, I, I don't know what made me want to watch this one. I might just be my general awareness of sort of like the uh, disaster movie genre that sort of came out of like late 60s, 70s, uh, like Airport, Earthquake, uh, The Poseidon Adventure, which is a movie my mom has been telling me to watch forever because she saw it when she was a kid. Uh, I think I remember my dad telling me about a time he went to the movies and uh, 
the theater next door was playing Earthquake and he knew it because of all the shaking of the walls. <laughs> but Airport is a, it's a little campy, it's a little silly, but at the end of the day, what this is is about a mission to save everybody on board because, oh boy, there is some drama in the skies, uh, such as a little old lady who decides to stow away on the plane. Oh my goodness, you guys, this is like pre-TSA airport stuff. And it just reminds me of when I was a kid and we'd go to the airport to send my dad off because my dad used to go on a lot of business trip, like since business trips since I was like very little. So we'd drive him to the airport. He'd go to the airport and he'd just get on the plane and go wherever, usually like going to Philadelphia and then connecting and going somewhere else because we used to live in like the sticks of upstate New York. But uh, <laughs> I just remember there being like no security, nothing like that. Sort of like what this airplane airport movie, uh, airports, uh, you know, the general airport itself is like. It's so funny. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, like I said, this is campy and this is fun. Uh, it's a little silly in the, the sort of behind the scenes stuff about the people running the airport that I just, I found that like not really exciting. That had to do with Burt Lancaster and Gene Seberg. But uh, Dean Martin is like the, uh, he's the pilot. <laughs> and Jacqueline Bissett plays this stewardess who uh, he has a little bit of a relationship with. <laughs> oh man. But uh, if you've got like a little over two hours to burn and you want to watch a throwback that's got like all kinds of wacky stuff going on that's just going to make you appreciate how much technology has advanced in some ways. Not, no, I'm not, not using that as a dig. It's just, it is very different nowadays how people travel and how things are versus, you know, now versus then kind of thing. Um, but it does, I will, I will say this, it does look like they had a lot of, a lot of legroom on that plane. <laughs> uh, so Airport from 1970, directed by George Seaton. I don't know if I'm going to watch the sequels. They did a couple, uh, but I know I'm going to go ahead and like try to watch the Poseidon Adventure because I, I haven't seen that. Earthquake. I don't know what el other ones there are, but oh, Towering Inferno. I've got to watch that one. <laughs> I love a good throwback. And, you know, this one, it did not disappoint. I did only give it three stars, though, because it's not it's not great. And it's easily a film that you can watch and just be like, well, this is kind of boring. Because I think a good like for the first like 45 minutes or so was just pretty dull and like kind of. I want to say mechanical and sort of its approach of how to get to the things we want to see when the plane actually gets up in the air because it actually starts out with a giant snowstorm. So <laughs> eventually, eventually it gets off the ground. But that's Airport, as I said, from 1970, directed by George Seaton. And that is it for this episode. Uh, I have a number of films like sort of on the docket of what I want to watch. Uh, a certain film, a certain friend of mine recommended um, <laughs> maybe not recommended, recommended, but they'll get a shout out on the next episode. Um, and yeah, I, I do want to get to the theater. Hopefully, hopefully this weekend, uh, there's a new Nicole Hall center movie coming out. And, uh, even when her movies aren't great, I still enjoy them. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And I, uh, haven't seen the new John Wick movie yet. Oh, soon you guys hopefully <laughs> um but yeah i'm mallory this is cinema 5000 thank you so much for listening to this episode if you want to follow along on twitter yes i'm still on twitter um and instagram too uh for pictures whatever updates i write some notes on there but uh yeah follow along handle is cinema 5k if you want to send an email though if you want to send a note 
any thoughts, complaints, whatever, send an email to cinema5kpod at gmail.com, and I will let you know what movies I see next when I see them. So, thanks for listening, take care, and bye!